Okay, welcome to the Film Hole Podcast. I'm Trevor. And I'm Raul. I'm a filmmaker. And I'm a scientist. Every week we watch a movie. And then we talk about it. Welcome back to the Film Hole Podcast. Mm-hmm. This week, this is a bonus episode. Yeah, a little bit of a departure. This is our first bonus episode. Welcome. And we're going to talk about a very topical a piece of entertainment that's making its rounds on social media over the last week or so, a couple weeks. When did yeah, it come out? I want to say two weeks ago. Well, you may have already guessed by listening to us, but we're referring to the Netflix original docuseries Tiger King. Yeah, I feel like I was a little, um, a little late on this one. I thought I could write it out, but then the hype just became too real for me. It's interesting how like we live in an age where uh, just to maintain relevance at all, like if something is like that hot on the internet, like you just have to watch it. Like it's it's not even about like, oh, okay, I, enough of my friends have endorsed this thing. It must be good. It's just like, I don't want to be left out. Yeah, yeah. And the online conversation is going to ensue. Mm-hmm. So Tiger King... If you've been living under a rock for the last couple weeks, mm-hmm. is a original docu series covering Joe Exotic, um, Doc Antle, um, Carol ba- Basket Bassett. Basket I don't remember. Robbins. I like in my head it's Basket because she, like she's a basket case. Basket case. Oh, I They're see. We're all... already we're taking sides already here. Uh oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> also, uh, really quick, I've noticed in listening to our past episodes that I have this thing that I do when I laugh that I really hate, where I will laugh really hard and then I will inhale. I will take all of the air I will take all of the air back that I exhaled while laughing. Oh, cut it, that all out. And it's the most annoying sound. You made the weirdest sound on like the last recording. It was I like did? a it was like a that's that sound right there i cut it out actually i eliminated it you're like oh man it's like the last thing that you want to hear as like a podcaster you made a sound that was so annoying that i had to cut it out yeah we make a lot of mouth noises so the show, basically, just a documentary about this fascinating subculture of people that own exotic animals mm-hmm. across America. And so, first of all, I was amazed that this is something that exists. Mm-hmm. And the people that are part of it are so colorful. So, I mean, all those characters that you outlined, what a cast. Yeah. I guess it makes sense, like, when you think about it, that these places exist but they were not on my radar at all like private zoos like private exotic animal zoos yeah not at all i I don't know if you've thought about this but like my impression like up until i saw this documentary was always that like zoos were almost like a like a like a local government thing like you just had like a zoo in your town yeah but it didn't have like they weren't privately owned no one was making money off of them but this, like, I guess private zoos are a thing 
<laughs> Did you follow up on that? Like, is it the case that like the San Diego Zoo is like a semi-private? I did not follow up. <laughs> I mean, because that was the first thought that came to my mind too. When you see shots of Joe Exotic's janky ass zoo, you're like, mm-hmm. this is far, far removed from you know the zoos I've gone to. Yeah. What I mean, it's just like there a lot of like all the people that you see in this show are pretty like entrepreneurial. Yeah, yeah. Like they've all got their own little gig going on. Like, and at one point, someone is like building a zoo from scratch. Like, I was just completely unaware that that was like an option in life that yes. I could just make a zoo. These people like live at this really interesting like level of wealth. You know, they're not your captains of industry they're not your mark zuckerbergs or your ceos of ford but at the same time they like have money to go out and do ventures and i guess there's a niche for people like this to uh, to do these kinds of things yeah bring a jungle into your backyard and invite people and obviously the market is there for it yeah so anyways this has been our recap of the economy of uh tiger king the obviously most interesting part of the whole series. Yeah, I mean, like federal budgets <laughs> and uh, tax loopholes. Yeah. But it follows uh, Joe Exotic, Doc Antle, some other woman, uh, Carol Basket, Bassett, I don't know. Maybe we should just look that up. Bassett Hound. Uh, but she, she and others are all different proprietors of large cats. Um, and own their own little individual zoos. Apparently, the way I understand it is that the documentary started kind of just covering the the subculture of those places in general, and Joe Exotic slowly kind of emerged as the main character. Now, are you referring to... Because there's like two distinct sort of documentary crews in this documentary. There's like the main one that made the documentary that we watched, and then there was that filmmaker... Uh, that was producing Joe Exotic's materials like even farther back. You're talking about uh, the reporter. Like the uh, guy whose warehouse of footage got destroyed. Rick Kirkman, who has been a a guy in TV and movies for a long time. But no, I'm talking about what we watched. What we watched. Yeah, I'm talking about the documentary series. Like they just kind of started following these characters. And what emerged was that Joe Exotic was the main character because he was obviously the most interesting and had the most kind of dynamic turns in his narrative and i think also a lot of what we watch on netflix is actually made up of archival footage that's actually kind of an interesting thing i didn't realize until doing some research later that most of it is like archival footage from stuff that either kirkman's a crew shot or joe exotic himself shot and they even show it, you know, with the other kind of auxiliary characters that they're all self-documenting, like, quite a all bit. All the time, yeah. And yeah. so the, the line kind of becomes blurred between, like, what is something that the crew that made this documentary filmed and what's something that was just filmed prior to all of that. Like, the cell phone shots of uh, Jeff and Joe arguing in their office about, like, incriminating like incriminating conversations. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is just in the documentary. How did that happen? Yeah. It's they're recording everything all the it, time. Yeah. All to say very in-depth and personal look into these people's lives that we get here. Yeah. 
in like they they uh created that environment themselves because like they're they were filming themselves like way before that that doc crew showed up mm-hmm. how'd you feel about like the whole kirkman narrative kirkham kirkham did i say kirkman earlier kirkham rick kirkman kirkham oh. god damn it remind me who that is rick kirkham is the uh he's a reporter he was a reporter um but he was the one filming the quote-unquote reality show about joe exotic i see i see how do i feel about him i mean he was just brought on to kind of like joe i think before that point had always been like recording his antics around his zoo and so he just decided to bring somebody in to make it a little bit more professional basically enable that tv show that they made out of it i don't really know like where like a kirkman got in kirkham got involved in this because it seemed to me like kirkham just like happened upon this very bizarre cast of characters it's honestly like he was kind of like v1 of tiger king and then all of his shit burned up and then so only who directed this eric good that's the guy okay kirkham was v1 good was like v2 and he like got to cash in on like this bizarre cast cares that's what i found really interesting is that like what we're talking about how what an interesting subculture all these characters are super zany and obviously make very good television um and we should say that there it gets like way crazier than like tigers and private zoos that there's like murder and like conspiracy all wrapped up in it yeah uh but all these people make really good TV, obviously, and I think Kirkham, where however he found out about these people, maybe there's a clearer answer in there somewhere, that he became wise to that like a long time ago, and just the circumstances made it so he couldn't finish what he was working on, which was a reality show, and then Eric Good gets to step in and use all of this existing footage not from Kirkham but from other sources and then create his own and then cash in on this like subculture in a way that Kirkham never got to it is weird that these two different producers and filmmakers were kind of stepping on each other's toes in a way in what way well just in the sense that they basically overlapped you know Kirkham was already there yeah and he had the whole plan to like capitalize on these people's lives by making the reality tv show and mm-hmm. then that fell through and then this other crew came in afterwards yeah ended up interviewing the same guy yeah yeah i think it's interesting that kirkham like seems to be a real good like all things considered a real good sport about kind of passing the baton i mean arguably he was working on a reality show not a documentary so maybe those things just didn't look the same at all to kirkham like in his mind but mm-hmm. He's pretty cool about the whole process about doing an interview. I I approach this from like a filmmaker standpoint where it's like if I decided I was going to make a documentary about uh, this weird subculture of people and tigers and stuff and someone else had already tried to do something about it and I would I wanted to talk to that person, I feel like they would not be cool with me working on that. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like kind of it's like kind of territorial i guess like dumb ape shit among filmmakers yeah yeah that makes sense yeah like i've been working on this for a long time i think the the criminal charges maybe 
account for some of that. Like you kind of at that point don't want to be too closely associated with the ongoings of Joe Exotic because this guy was in fact like planted with them for so many years. Mm-hmm. I think you want to make a little bit of separation between yourself and this guy. I mean, you weren't expecting this to blow up into a case like it ended up blowing up into. So spoiler alert, Joe Exotic is in jail mm-hmm. currently. I think that like every episode, because it, it's kind of tough to describe like what Tiger King is like as a whole, because Joe Exotic, you could say is the main character and it kind of follows what happens with his like, being accused of murder but there's also this whole like mess of subplots like a whole like host of other narratives that are going on in parallel to joe exotic where there's another guy doc Antle, who like is basically a cult leader yeah and then uh carol baskin like there's a whole episode to dedicated to how she probably like murdered her husband (laughs) That's what it seems like. At, at some point, like I was watching this with Grace, and I'm like, "How much more can there possibly be? Like, how many more like skeletons are in like these people's closets?" There's a great meme online. Speaking of skeletons, um, one of the zoo managers, like at the last episode, pulls up in like a ridiculous sports car with a skeleton mm-hmm. in the passenger seat. Do you remember that scene? Like a human skeleton? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. What was that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised you didn't remember because, like, the whole meme on Reddit was, like, like, this show is so crazy. Like, by the time you get to this shot, like, you don't even question it for a second. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, like, pulling up. (laughs) This is the least crazy thing so far. Who was it? Who did that? It was one of the... It was the the, uh, zoo manager that had no legs. Oh, yeah. Dude, he's my, like, most redeemable character in my book. Yeah, some of the zoo workers are like one of the most likable people on when, the whole show. When you start to get into it, I feel like you I, I was definitely like ranking people on their like trustworthiness or like likability uh-huh. as characters. Because there's they're few and far between. And I feel like the guy with no legs like takes takes the cake for me. <laughs> like seems to be the most consistently like noble person in yeah. the whole show. There's a great uh I was just like scrolling through memes last night. Have you seen like this meme where it's a three by three grid and it starts like from um, it's it's like chaotic good on one end of the spectrum and like uh, ordered evil on the opposite end? No. You never seen this? I got to show you this. I got to pull it. I'm unfamiliar with this format. Okay. So it's, it's two Uh, axes, lawful, neutral, and chaotic. And then good neutral and evil yeah so like on one end of the spectrum like like think of somebody that's like a chaotic good like the boyfriend he he's uh-huh. not a bad person necessarily but you know that he is just like a absolutely crazy person i i love this format yeah, yeah. other end of the spectrum like chaotic evil and lawful good make perfect sense they're, they're like archetypes yeah. that exist but like lawful uh-huh. evil um you know carol uh if you mm-hmm. if you assume that she did kill her husband she's actually very well put together and yeah very nice but underneath all that is an evil person <laughs> yeah so that's lawful evil i disagree with uh no legs being in chaotic neutral like is the fact that he just has no legs like what qualifies him as chaotic 
Like, what did he do? As far as chaotic, I think you can put him yeah. in the chaotic camp just because anybody that works in that zoo has a pretty rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah, but so did, uh, I think her name is Kelsey, the chick with no arm. Yeah, that is true. So I feel like they are like on the same plane for me. But the rest of it makes sense. Did you get the sense that uh, Carol's current husband has some sort of like professional like legal experience? I just assume that all people in their like wealth category like know their way around a lawsuit or two mm. and have working knowledge of that kind of stuff. That's a good point. And have lawyers as well. I mean, they very good point. They're essentially like lobbyists for a living. Who's your most hated character? Who do you dislike the most in this show? Yeah, ultimately it's got to be Joe. I mean, he's just really? yeah, just too much chaos with that guy. Yeah, real but wild card. The super like young husbands. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure he just like enabled their drug abuse. Uh huh. At the end of the day, so like the the suicide of the second husband, mm-hmm. I feel like rests a little bit on his shoulders. Yes. I actually I learned this um, that those husbands are actually not one, two, and three, but they're actually three, four, and five. Uh huh. So like Joe had like two husbands beforehand prior to all of this. Wow. Yeah, I will say, man, that scene where it shows <laughs> him getting married to Travis and what's the first husband's name? The guy with all the tattoos. But you know the scene I'm talking about? They're all in like cowboy hats and like pink shirts. Yeah. <laughs> and they're at like at a courthouse. Uh-huh. I fucking lost it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that imagery so much. Yeah. Just like three fucking really gay cowboys. I love it. <laughs> Except two of them are like definitely straight. Seems that way, yeah. But at the time at that point in the watching experience of the documentary, you don't know that. Yep. One of the twists and turns many of the twists and turns i wish like this happened like relatively close to where we used to live right oklahoma right yeah what part of oklahoma were they in i don't know were they near the panhandle we... <laughs> yeah i know the terminology. i don't know what are the what are the other parts of oklahoma <laughs> the rectangle the pan it's the panhandle <laughs> and then the <laughs> that's hilarious I, I would have loved to be able to experience his like traveling show in person. Like I would have loved yeah. to have gone see that. I'm only now realizing the irony of that traveling show because it was like kind of anti-drug. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's, they don't really even connect the dots of like, oh, he was like a heavy meth user and like facilitated another person's like drug addiction. <laughs> I don't think he's like necessarily... Um, an advocate for anti-drug policy and education i mean because mm-hmm. obviously he's a drug user and does a lot of drugs on his on his zoo i assume that like schools just ask anybody to give their children anti-drug speeches yeah like remember that guy Did that you... used to come to our high school all the time and do anti-drug stuff and anti bullying i don't remember i don't remember any anti-drug or anti-bullying thing i do remember like uh like a texting and drive or drunk driving like psa Uh spokesperson they would show us very like graphic videos of 
like wrecks like car wrecks yeah and like do interviews with people who are like disabled from like a really serious car wreck and be like don't don't text and drive kids huh. and this would be, this be like a, a person like at a school assembly showing us this and then following up with some sort of lecture are you thinking of john cole yes i am <laughs> i am thinking of john cole Eric? shout out to john shout out to john cole yeah do, doing god's work i'm just kidding <laughs> Aaron met him at a ku basketball game once what yeah at a ku basketball game like re-met him like saw him in the audience and then like walked up to him and said like hey i remember you from high school and stuff and huh whatever dude i wouldn't recognize him if i saw him i can kind of picture his face right now closing my eyes hmm you would show that video of like the penguin falling on the ice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'd be like, don't trip up your friends. Be don't bully. Hilarious meme. I want that job. I want to be just like on a public school circuit. Yeah. Spreading messages around. A lot of good he did. <laughs> I bully and do drugs every day now. Oh, no. In spite of John Cole. Just to spite John Cole. Yep. All right. Let's get back into this. Back to Tiger King. But what if? What are some of your favorite scenes? I mean, this this thing is just chock full of memorable oh, things. Shit. Or not even necessarily scenes, but just like arcs. I did really enjoy. Like, there's a scene where uh, they play a clip from like John Oliver's show, uh-huh. covering Joe Exotic, and the way they have it cut together, and that's pretty funny. There's something about like I'm in a fucking cage of tigers and I'm broke as shit or something <laughs> like. That. I remember watching that. Oh really? Yeah, when it came out four years ago. Did that blow your mind then? Yes, yes. Because like, I imagine that you, if you saw that on John Oliver, that you completely forgot about it until you saw that clip again there's, in the documentary. There was something about his mullet that triggered some neurons in my brain but yeah i had totally forgotten about that yeah and then it came back on i'm like yes that's the guy isn't it amazing that in that video they showed on john oliver he like references to a lot of the main plot points of the documentary like the whole i'm broke as shit and like and i got uh-huh. like this b in florida who's trying to get me or something like that <laughs> why put that yeah. why put that in the final cut at all i don't know why is that important to the voters i did enjoy sort of the like the unveiling of like what was actually going on at like the Doc Antle Zoo, because like as soon as like they introduced Doc Antle as a character, you know what I'm talking about ponytail guy, uh-huh. cult leader guy. I was like something is fucking up with this guy. Joe is like a very obvious like oh my god like this guy is just spinning out of control every day of his life. Oh yeah, pretty e- pretty easy narrative to follow, but like. Doc Antle, and like you could make an argument that there's a similar thing going on with Carol that she's like hiding something, but I feel like Antle had like a real like suspicion about him, like as soon as he gets introduced. Yes, and I think part of that, I think part of that too is just like the way that he acts like on camera. I love all of the little like asides that they have in the documentary of like Doc Antle, um basically directing like the the documentary crew where he's like all right we're gonna like go to my house and then you guys are gonna come up to the door and like i'm gonna open it up as if you were like coming in here for the first time isn't it interesting that they put that in the final cut itself i love it i love that so much because like 
it's a direct subversion of like what Doc Antle wanted them to do. Right, by right. Including that in the final cut. So we talked a little bit about uh, the My Scientology movie, and like that movie is some is somewhere where they cut a lot of that stuff into the final edit, right? Kind of mm. behind the scenes stuff, like them setting up or them talking about mm-hmm. the documentary yeah. itself, kind of stuff that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I love like that whole like development of his character because I feel like there's more mystery. And so when they start getting into like he like hinting that he's like a cult leader, I'm like, fuck yeah, I like knew it. The very first <laughs> indication that I had of that is he had that picture of like that Indian guru on his yeah. wall. He's like, that's my grandpa, right? My guru grandpa. And I'm like, is this guy um, like ethnic in some way? Because it seems right. right, but he called that guy his grandpa. Man, we're really like riding the the cult wave right now because mm-hmm. this. I just watched uh, Wild Wild Country uh-huh. on Netflix. Like, if you you know what I'm t- you know what that is? I think so. It's about the Rajneeshi yeah, cult in Oregon, which was heavily influenced by a lot of like Indian culture. And like that guy gave me the same vibe as all of like the white people involved in that. Yeah, yeah. I Doc, I, Doc I, I assume Doc Antle is involved in something like that. These like uh, yeah Indian kind of communes. Yeah. No, I did not see Wild Wild Country, but I did see the documentary now spoof on. I don't know what that is. It's a, it's a great series. We'll we'll talk about it later, but <laughs> I haven't seen it. I enjoyed that they interviewed someone who like used to be part of like the Doc Antle, uh, commune or whatever. Yeah. Just to back Hold up back a, little bit, a little bit, like my progression of my, the progression of my impression of Doc Antle. It's like first <laughs> things seem like a little bit off. And then you get shots of like how his farm's working. I'm like, everybody seems to be uh, an attractive woman. Right. What's going yeah. on here? Dude, I had the exact same reaction. That was the first flag that came up. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that just, that doesn't happen done. by coincidence. Turns out we were right. Something was afoot there. You can tell that the narrative, the documentary, was kind of like pulling his direction. But then Joe tried to murder somebody, so they had to whip right back i mean it just like this is one of the interesting things about the documentary as a whole i think it's like it's all over the place like there's the the tony, honestly, the tony like, montana guy the drug dealer oh my god dude how have we not talked about like the the, the least Scarface crazy guy. person in the whole movie is that guy the is is he like the real like analog for scarface no no not really that's just what they said dude because he like fit the part big time yeah i'm like all this makes sense like if Scarface is based off of this guy. <laughs> but that really threw me for a loop because it's like they hit you with they you with the Scarface guy, they hit you with Doc Cantle and Carol and Joe, like all within like the first four episodes, you know? And like I have no idea like who I'm supposed to be paying attention to the most because no. they are all like yeah. equally nuts. I did not know where it was gonna go. And the Scarface guy, like he is gone. Like he's in the he's in the show for like one episode uh-huh. and then he's out of there. Yeah, they implied that but he was like a relatively so private person. That was the one where they were trying to get into the gate, right? And they got stopped by the security guard. Mm-hmm. One thing I really like about this documentary is just that these people like live in this world, like this community subculture, really, of tiger owners, and they all know one another, like across state lines. Yeah they're just like involved uh-huh. in this community and they talk and they like gossip about each other. Yeah, I think when you have a powerful enough 
subculture or niche that has a sufficient online presence. There's no barriers with that. Yeah. Can be wherever. And I think when, especially when you're involved with something as specific as Tiger Trade, you're going to know the other players. You know everybody else. Yeah. How do you get into Tiger Trading? How does that happen? Every single one of their backstories was like, yeah, I've had Tiger since I was like, you know, yeah, a teenager. That's true. Even, even like the uh, informant guy, the business, the strip club owner yeah. guy. Yeah. He was like, yeah, I bought like he, he didn't even like own a zoo like throughout the duration of the documentary. But he's like, yeah, I like I also own cats. Like <laughs> it, it almost seems like to this because I don't get it at all. Like I don't get the appeal. Same. It doesn't yeah. seem cool to me. It, it must be like a signifier, like in the same way that having like a big truck is like a, a signifier how how big your balls are. Having these or cats penis. around or peanuts. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but like I'm really I aspire for the big for the big balls. Right. <laughs> I'm different than most. <laughs> but everybody in this story just like is casually into cats. Like every single character. Yeah. They stick together. Yeah. I'm trying, to, like I'm a... trying to think of like something else that is like that. Some some other property or, or hobby of a person that that will ha- allow them to stick together so cohesively like that. I don't know. There's nothing like it that I can think of. Video games? I don't know. It's almost too common. It has to be like really niche, but also very passionate. Yeah. I'm sure something like that exists. I... I like there's like a clip that they have of Doc Antle saying like there's nothing more sexier, more iconic, uh, more appealing than in in our American culture of a little baby tiger cub. And it's just like, (laughs) it's like, I don't agree with you at all. (laughs) He's like talking about this thing as like a universal truth. Like everybody knows that like tigers are the coolest thing. And I'm like, no, everybody doesn't know that. I'm like, nobody told me. (laughs) I'm like, I guess tigers are cool. What time period did these people grow up in that tigers were just like such a high status symbol in their lives? 60s? I don't know. The only thing I can... What do you associate with tigers, like domesticated tigers? (sighs) Domesticated tigers? I associate like... Uh, like a problem like with society like endangered species you know <laughs> well, no, I, like i think of like vegas shows like the guys that like uh, did the magic shows like siegfried and roy time. did they use tigers yeah. yeah that kind of stuff was siegfried and roy one of them was or both of them was killed by a, a lion or a tiger let's look this up real quick no, they're both alive no nah, dude you sure am i thinking of the right people siegfried and roy age oh wait they're alive who died who was killed you got to cut this out. Do you want to see how I spelled that? Look, look at your chat. <laughs> Royd. Sig, Sig friend and Royd. That'd be a good uh, parody version of those two. Oh, you know, I was thinking of Penn and Teller. Not right at all. What? Uh, let's see. Injuries to other parts permanently affecting his body to move, walk, and speak. But Roy also suffered a stroke. Oh, yeah. Dude, I could have sworn that one of these dudes died from this, though. But I guess I'm wrong. Because they both seem to be alive. Whatever. Okay. But you're never really alive oh. until you uh, get into exactly. the, get onto the stage with a Cybertooth cat. Cybertooth? That's like the digital... Oh, Sabertooth? <laughs> Sabertooth. Yeah, you said Cybertooth. 
I love that though. Cybertooth Tiger. Yeah, I'm gonna write oh that. my god. I'm gonna write that down. Cybertooth Tiger. Okay, let's do some more scenes. One of the most gut wrenching scenes for me was the one uh, where Joe's describing how he sold off those two chimpanzees that he had housed in separate cages for years and years and years. And like as soon as they got to their new home in some Florida zoo, <laughs> like they immediately like started hugging at each other and like being affectionate. And he yeah. was like crying. It's like, did I? Did I deprive them of that for their whole lives did or I de- whatever? Did I deprive them of that for their whole lives? And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, maybe I did. That was the real point I, where like my opinions on Joe just like turned. In a positive way? In a, in a bad way. Because like my whole, oh. whether or not Joe was a responsible animal, animal owner, um, to me is what dictates whether or not you like or dislike him. Because mm-hmm. they, they are not very clear with this like throughout the documentary. Like, obviously, the Carol camp um, says outright that these are inhumane condition for animals. And Joe's position mm-hmm. is that, like, I take these animals good, as good care of these animals as anybody else does. Um, mm-hmm. But that scene to me tells me, like, you know, I, I think Carol's right. Like, this guy is in no position to be responsible for this kind of zoo. Yeah. There's no way he could provide for them the way they should be. Right. I, I feel that way about everybody really involved in this whole thing. Like, I don't really know what to make of the conditions of, like, Carol's, like, caged cats versus, like, anyone else's, you know? Yeah. Seems to be, like, a little hypocritical there, but... Well, let's talk about may- it. What maybe- is what is the distinction between Carol's setup and everybody else's? <sighs> I don't know. It doesn't... The documentary doesn't seem to be super explicit with whatever that is, but if I had to guess, I... I would say that it's to make sure that they are properly taken care of and maybe at some point try to up the population of tigers so they can not be endangered anymore. I'm just kind of speculating here. If I was like trying to run an ethical like tiger sanctuary, that would be the goal, right? Is to make them not endangered. Yeah. But I mean, it's the way that the documentary explains it. It just, she just says like, we have a safe place for cats to live until they die. Which, is that not what the other places are doing? Well, I think the big distinction there is whether they breed or not. I think that is like the defining distinction between her camp and the rest of the people. So Carol does not breed? Yeah. And that makes her morally on the high ground? Right, because everybody else, they're Why? breeding their cats as much as they can because the uh, cubs are the cash cow, right? Okay. And so their incentive yeah. is to just to breed them as much as possible. And if you're working under the assumption that these are inhumane conditions to begin with, then you have this camp of people that all they're trying to do is pump out more cubs to grow up in inhumane yeah. conditions. And what she's doing is that she's buying those, not breeding, but yeah. just giving them a, a home. That makes sense, I suppose. That makes sense. I still, th- I was like floored by the final, like, graphic where they show like the numbers they said like five to ten thousand of cats in captivity and then there's less than four thousand like in the wild which is fucking bananas to me for like a couple couple reasons where first of all we don't even know like there's fucking five thousand like tigers that are just like unaccounted for (laughs) like in that figure yeah and like similar amounts of tigers unaccounted for in captivity are accounted for in the wild 
like that's that's just fucking nuts to me that there is like that much of a difference between those numbers and i feel like the goal of any of those places should be like we need to up the amount of wild tigers right but i don't know how you do that right i mean that wasn't really broached in this documentary too much like how do you make the jump between domesticated animals and upping the natural population yeah, I don't know. Um, Doc made that point at one point. He was like, if you want like to increase the population of tigers, like we are doing that work for you. Mm-hmm. Which seemed like not a horrible point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know what to make of I don't know enough about animal conservation to really have a, a proper stance on this. Well, neither do I, but uh, here is my opinion. <laughs> what were we just talking about? Because I had an opinion. Oh, oh, we were talking about the chimpanzee thing. It was interesting that you said that that was when your opinion shifted to negative for Joe. Because mm-hmm. that was actually, for me, like the moment when I was like, oh, this is like the first time I've seen Joe show any sort of like self-awareness is when he like very, very quickly admitted to his like mistreatment of these chimpanzees. Yeah, yeah. And I even feel like post that, like post that interview when he gets into jail and he's trying to figure out that whole situation, I feel like that was the most like honest moment I saw from him on camera when he was like, yeah, I mistreated these these animals. Inadvertently, right? Right, yeah. Which is the part, like that was really important for me because it said like, um, despite whether or not Joe really cares for these animals or not, like he simply isn't capable of making the right decisions or like the right decisions are like too hard to make that you can accidentally just you know cause yeah. these chimpanzees a lot of pain for their whole lives and not even know it if you're handling why, hundreds and hundreds of animals that's why i feel like the whole doc antle uh narrative is much more malicious or um i don't know arguably evil than joe's is because a certain amount of like what's going on with joe's zoo and all the shit that went bad there can be chalked up to incompetence at least when you're talking about joe specifically yeah whereas like doc Antle seems very like methodical in his his wrongdoings of both people and tigers yeah that guy his day must be coming sometime right i'm interested in like a follow-up to like what happens with that guy yeah didn't they say they like his they raided his zoo like at the end or something did they i feel like there's like a title card that says like at the end that's like they raided Doc Antle's zoo. Oh, now and that, that like Doc Antle was like kind of in the process of things now, and how he didn't comment on anything. Huh. I'm pretty sure that was in there. We kind of talked a little bit about like the second husband's. Um, I'm learning now, fifth husband. Yep. The serial mm-hmm. marrier, this guy. But his yeah. his suicide is like one of the most ridiculous Mary. things that I've ever seen ridiculous yeah it's like simultaneously like so tragic but absolutely so reckless and avoidable yeah it's really crazy how if you because that happens like maybe in the third or fourth episode Mm -hmm. maybe even later how the documentary successfully like does not allude to the fact that that guy committed suicide i was wondering why he wasn't interviewed it's very shocking yeah when it happens and it's like a really i don't know I think I think in some ways kind of ethically questionable like what they actually show because you know it's you know within the context of making documentaries I think it becomes a different kind of documentary when you show like death uh-huh. on screen yeah and this one was it just kind of got away with that without 
you know, showing you everything. It happens just off camera. But like the context clues that it gives you and then like the interview that that backs it the whole time. And then seeing like the muzzle flash and a person's reaction like is for me just on the line of being like too shocking uh-huh. to put in a normal documentary. So I don't know. I, I I would be curious as to like what the conversation was about like should we include this or not? I mean, certainly. I mean, can you imagine how the family would feel about that? Yeah. When saying I that? mean, like they inter- they interviewed his mom. Yeah. She's in the documentary. I don't know. I wonder like if she would have to sign off on something like that. Yeah. Cuz I mean, it's his likeness is not in that shot so it's not like that's what i'm saying though man it's like so tricky but it it feels kind of ethically questionable that that's in there at all but i mean like legally on paper it's like he doesn't appear in the like in the shot so there's like an argument to be made that it's within the bounds of the law i don't know but the fact that i'm having to question it alone i think makes it kind of taboo right Right. There, there's something about having the, you know, the, the suicide happen just slightly off screen that makes it so unsettling. And just like the idea that, you know, that it's real footage. Yeah. And that guy's reaction and they just sit on it for like a good 10 to 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like the only death in the movie, right? Like that was actually like a pretty high stakes moment. Mm-hmm. It was kind of downplayed yeah. right away. They got back into the the rest of it but man that was mm-hmm. that was crazy and it's it's crazier still because it kind of keeps you guessing like right up until that moment it's maybe minutes if not seconds before you see what happens happened happen where you're like oh my god did, did this guy commit suicide like you're asking that question like moments before yeah. what they show yeah. you because they're really getting into it he's like yeah you know he would very often like come by the office and point a gun at me and I would tell him, uh-huh. you know, don't point that gun at me. And then, mm-hmm. and then the narrative kind of started slowing down, and it kind of started building mm-hmm. you up for something bad to happen. So, whatever you think about the moral ambiguities of that scene, and I would lean towards it's probably not good that that's in there. It is sort of a masterful, masterful execution of editing to build suspense. Mm-hmm. What other scenes did you like? Well, or want to talk about just in general, like the, the idea, all these people that like Joe brought into his orbit. I mean, I feel like they every single person that came into his vicinity came out of it worse off than they were before. Yeah, maybe with the exception of uh, Jeff. Yeah, that's true. The con, the con man. Yeah, yeah. Who actually kind of exploited Joe. That guy seems so slimy. Just makes my skin crawl. Mm-hmm. Don't like him. Yep. I remember there's like a scene I, th- I was talking to grace about this there's like a, a a point in the documentary where they're like we need a new way to make money and it might have been like right after J- jeff got there and he's like we're gonna take this party bus down to <laughs> vegas and we're gonna put tiger cubs in it and we're gonna drive around and there's this like cutaway of jeff being like that was a mistake like we shouldn't have done that in kind of a cryptic way, but they never like explain that. They never like explain like what happened with the Tiger Cub party bus that made it a bad idea. Yeah, I love that. I thought they were gonna I get can... into it, but then they immediately moved on. Uh-huh. So your imagination just kind of fills the gaps. It was probably something super lame, 
and that's why they didn't include it. <laughs> They're like, oh, it just wasn't it just wasn't making enough money. But Jeff's like sound bite like made it sound a lot more interesting. Yeah. So do you want to do final thoughts? Sure. My final thoughts on Tiger King are I think that this was a really interesting pop culture phenomenon that I don't think will really carry through on the in the overall public's zeitgeist, I think people will forget about it relatively quickly. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but it, it does seem kind of, it kind of hit just like right at the right time. It was just enough of a phenomenon on Netflix that released during a during a global pandemic when, when everybody's watching Netflix all the time, even more so than we already do. But kind of what I was talking about earlier, how like the narrative is so scattered for me yeah it's about like so many different people and all of the twists and twists and turns of their universally like bizarre lives it honestly like wasn't enough of a deep dive into any one of them for me to really like latch onto it or invest in it and so you know i've seen stuff on the internet about like we need a follow-up season or whatever we need to know like what happens and i kind of am just in the point where i'm like i don't care like i've just been a little bit oversaturated with those characters mm -hmm. and their arcs in just that short documentary that it's just it's it's run its course for me and i think the same will be said about the show as a whole mm -hmm. in a couple years my only thought while i was watching is like get me as far as away from these people and people like these people as possible like i don't want to even meet anybody like any of these characters in my life you drew an interesting parallel to joe and um uh, fuck, what's his name? The guy from High School Musical. Oh, yeah, Zac Efron? Zac Efron. You do an interesting parallel to Joe and Zac Efron from Beach Bum. Mm -hmm. Explain that. So just very quickly, uh, The Beach Bum was a movie that got released last year by um, underground indie director Harmony Korin. Directed such mm -hmm. movies as Kids and Spring Breakers. Does a lot mm -hmm. of really abstract, surreal movies. And a beach bum is about a main character played by Matthew McConaughey, who is a very rich. What do you call those people? Hedonist or yeah, hedonist seems like an appropriate term. Yeah, in modern Florida, and a lot of the movie has to mm -hmm. do with kind of contemporary Florida culture. Yeah. Really deep dive into that in a very particular way. He does stuff like this all the time. Like his movie Kids was a very deep dive into. Uh, New York City youth subculture in the 90s and mm -hmm. his movie Gummo was like a deep dive into white trash, desperately poor white rural areas and like whatever it was, Ohio. Mm -hmm. So he likes to do stuff like this where he, it's just um, a snapshot of an interesting subculture of America and I think that yeah. Tiger King did this really well of just laying out all of the different kind of characters that you find in in rural America, the Oklahoma area. But Zac Efron, I mean, just look up a picture of Zac Efron in The Beach Bum, and then you'll know what I'm talking about. Some of his like style choices are very similar to Jeff Lowe's from Tiger King. Mm -hmm. Like they're wearing like the same brands in some cases, I think. Right, right. Shout out to Affliction. Let's get some sponsorships. Send us some really ugly t-shirts. Yeah. So what are your final thoughts on Tiger King? I'm just, I'm glad that folk heroes are alive and well in America in 2020. <laughs> all I got to say. He really is like a folk hero kind of person. Yeah. Larger than life. Like a Paul Bunyan. Joe Exotic. Yes. yes. The new Paul Bunyan. Oh, and he has like, he even has a mascot. 
like Paul Bunyan does. Paul Bunyan has the 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 blue the ox? ox. Is it blue? Yeah, yeah. It's Babe, Babe the blue ox. He's got the tiger. Thanks for listening this week. Our music is by W. Look him up at underscore W on Instagram. That's underscore the word double and two U's. Editing this week was done by Trevor Mowry. Wherever you're listening, give us a good rating. Tweet us at at Pod on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next week.